Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. At this point, most shows are winding down. Roy is just getting started. The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Yes, we will be doing a segment on the uh, chaotic situation, at least somewhat chaotic situation, on Pennsylvania Avenue, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, the White House, with uh, Reince Priebus gone, and uh, now former head of the Department of Homeland Security, General Monroy. Somebody help me out telepathically. Kelly. Kelly. Well, that was even better than telepathic. That was right in my headset. What was his first name? John. No, that's not John. But you're good. Is it Kelly? You sure? She's sure. Okay. I would never argue with Lisa because uh, she and Will are the, the millennials who um, fly the airplane. Anyway, great to have you with us. Roy Green Show Chorus Radio Network. At uh, the bottom of the hour, it's going to be Beauties and the Beast with Catherine, Linda, and Michelle. We'll talk about the chaos on Pennsylvania Avenue. And I have some legislation in front of me. And I'm going to read it to them. And they're going to have to tell us whether it's real or whether it's fake. Now, if you were with us just before the last hour ended, then you already know. Because I told you. If you weren't with us just before the last hour ended, you don't know, and I'm not going to tell you. So you'll have to try to figure it out for yourself when we go through this legislation in the next half hour. I've been reading, uh, and we've talked a lot about what's been going on in uh, the Philippines, and particularly with the kidnapping and the, uh, the, the, the beheading of two Canadians by Abu Sayyaf, the ISIS-affiliated terror group. And... Um, it's just so, you know, it's, it's awful to, to just even think about. And uh, I've talked to family members, and yeah, I, I don't want to get into describing it all again. But ISIS, I've been hearing and reading, now that they're being shut out in uh, Iraq and Syria, being shut down in Iraq and Syria, they are looking for a foothold in Southeast Asia. And reports that we have and we've seen suggest that a bloody war is being fought between the Philippine army and uh, Abu Sayyaf, which is the ISIS-associated terror group, and uh, maybe some ISIS um, fighters themselves and the Filipino army and and, uh, what's going to come out of this. Because the Philippines, of course, have a, a long history of of uh, association with the United States, the U.S. having this massive Subic Bay military base until I think it was 1994. And there is an agreement under um, between the Philippines and the United States underway now. And I I believe that uh, we're going to work all of this out with uh, 
with Victor Taylor. Let me not guess too much here. Victor Taylor is a Filipino national. He's with the McKenzie Institute. He worked with the Philippine Muslim communities for 50 years, and he also assisted in rescue efforts for five hostages of Abu Sayyaf. He's worked in government, civil society, and business sectors in uh, in the Philippines. Mr. Taylor was very kind to get in touch with me as we were talking about the Canadian hostages of Abu Sayyaf and provide me with information about whether or not uh, Canadian uh, first... Uh, what's happening with the phone? Whether uh, Canadian special forces and U.S. special forces and Philippine special forces could have worked together to free the Canadians. Philip, thank you so much for uh, taking the time and uh, and joining us. And the, the point that you made to me by way of email is because of Philippine law, it would have been extremely difficult for Canadians and Americans to go in and rescue the Canadians with the Filipino uh, militaries. Can, can you explain that to us? Uh, that's right, Roy. Uh, can, can you hear me clearly? Yeah, very fine. Yeah, okay. Um, as, as I indicated in my email to you, um, there is a constitutional prohibition in the Philippines for uh, troops of other countries uh, to get involved in military operations in, in the Philippines. Uh, however, uh, there is nothing to prohibit um, foreign uh, uh, military institutions for, from providing uh, assistance, support, uh, by way of advice, by way of uh, logistics, uh, which, uh, for example, the United States and um, Australia uh, are currently providing. Okay. So it would have been possible for the Canadian Joint Task Force 2 Special Forces Unit and uh, American Military Special Forces Unit to provide logistical and other support to Philippine military, but they couldn't have taken the lead role. No, they couldn't have been involved in combat operations. They would have to be in the background. Okay. And that is that a is that a firm law because there's a new president in the Philippines, and, and he seems to be making up laws as he goes along. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's been expressing his opinion on, you know, on what he's like. Done. But, no, it, as I say, it is a constitutional prohibition, and so uh, he would get into trouble if he tried to do that. What's your history in the, in the Philippines? I mentioned that you've worked with Muslim communities for decades, and, and I, part B of the question is, is the Philippines a divided country along religious lines, and if so, which is the which is the dominant religion? Oh, uh, the dominant religion is, is Christianity, um, specifically uh, Catholicism, uh, the Roman Catholic Church. Um, that's about, I'd say, Christianity as a whole, including all sects, would be say ninety percent of the population. Mm-hmm. Um, Muslims would be about five percent, and and the balance would be you know, the sprinkling of other faiths. Now, are these faiths um, dispersed throughout the country, or do certain members of certain faiths uh, live more directly in one part of the Philippines and not in in others? Well, Christians you would find throughout the country, from north to south. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Muslims are primarily concentrated in the south, in Mindanao, um, but you do have Muslim communities 
elsewhere, like in, in the capital region in, in Metro Manila. Okay, the reason I ask is that we've now been hearing that ISIS, as it loses ground in Syria and Iraq, is looking for a foothold in Southeast Asia and has selected the Philippines. And they already have an ally in that Abu Sayyaf group. Is is that a, a legitimate story? Um, yes, uh, except that I, I'd say that the ISIS influence uh, goes back to 2014 when, you know, when the caliphate uh, was first uh, established in Syria and Iraq by uh, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. Mm-hmm. Um, right after the caliphate uh, was declared, uh, which was uh, in late June of 2014, uh, a number of groups in the Philippines pledged their loyalty to the Islamic State and to uh, the caliph, the so-called caliph. Uh, the, as you said, the Abu Sayyaf is one of them. Uh, but there were other groups as well, uh, one group known as the Bangsamoro Islamic uh, Freedom Fighters, another group known as the uh, Maute Group, which is the one that is heavily involved in the fighting in the city of Marawi today, uh, and maybe half a dozen other uh, militant uh, Islamic groups. So is there... Uh, a great deal of unease between uh, the majority Christian community and the minority Muslim community. Uh, it, should we have been surprised that they, that ISIS, once it formed the caliphate, would receive immediate, almost immediate, uh, support from organizations uh, within the Philippines? And was the Muslim population in the Philippines generally supportive of, 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 uh, of ISIS? Uh, well, to answer your last question, no. The Muslim uh population is not generally supportive uh, of these militant groups that have pledged loyalty constitute a minority but obviously uh, with their uh, weapons and their very aggressive tactics um, um, they uh, obviously carry uh, a lot of weight let me take a quick break Victor we'll come back and we'll we'll talk some more I have some more questions for you about what's going on currently in the Philippines and what's likely to happen with uh, Abu Sayyaf, the uh, the terror organization we've talked about. There are other organizations fighting uh, in the Philippines, as Victor has told us. Uh, Vic, uh, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, Victor Taylor. And, um, and I want to find out from him what's percolating here, because the United States has a history, long history of military presence in the Philippines, I mentioned Subic Bay, the military installation until 1994. The United States assigned a new enhanced cooperation defense agreement with Manila. But President Duterte is also asking China for military equipment to battle Abu Sayyaf. So does this set up a competition between the U.S. and China in that very important nation, linkpin nation, or linchpin uh, nation in Southeast Asia, the Philippines? Stay with us. Think you can swim with the sharks? Talk with Mr. Great White himself, Roy Green. The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network.
That's about the only Rolling Stones song that's going to be playing in my car while I'm on vacation. Now well, maybe 19th Nervous Breakdown. 1967 or so. I'm not a big Stones fan. I have vacation coming up starting on, uh, well, starting tomorrow, right after the show ends. I'm gone for August. Although we'll be playing some of our best off shows. But I'm taking a month off. It's nice. Once in a while, i got to do that. And they've been very kind to me here. And I, I asked them, I said, you know, I have to take the month of August off. I said, fine. So very good. I appreciate that. Thank you, uh, management team. Victor Taylor has been involved in the Muslim area of the Philippines for the past 50 years. He's lived in the province of Sulu and has worked in the government, civil society, and business sectors of the Philippines. In recent years, he's assisted in efforts to effect the release of five captives of the Abu Sayyaf group, and that's the group we've been talking about. Victor is associated with the McKenzie Institute. He's a Philippine citizen, although he has permanent residence in Canada. Pretty soon I'll be telling everybody what you had for lunch, Victor. <laughs> just, just a slight correction there, Roy. I'm actually not associated with the McKenzie Institute, except that you know, I did write the series of articles on the Abu Sayyaf uh, for them. Okay, okay. Uh, correction noted. So um, when you, uh, we've talked a lot about the release of captives. I, I want to make sure that we don't skate by this without talking to you about it. We've talked about a lot about the opportunity to release or, or effect the release of captives of Abu Sayyaf. And, of course, we had the, 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 uh, the, the two Canadians, Robert Hall and John Ridsdale. Was there opportunity, proper opportunity, to obtain their release? And how were you involved in the efforts to release, as much as you can tell us, the efforts to release the five other captives of Abu Sayyaf? Mm, on your first question as to whether there was an opportunity to release... Uh, uh, John Ridsdale and Robert Hall. I mean, obviously the opportunity was there, except that uh, the demands of the Abu Sayyaf at the time were were ridiculous. You know, they were asking for something like $20 million each. Um, and uh, this could have been done, I mean, obviously it would have been a matter of negotiations, while in the background you you always have the effort on the part of the military to try and rescue them, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, the chances of that occurring are very slim. Um, so negotiations would have been uh, the best approach, except that you would have to find uh, the most effective negotiators uh vis-a-vis the particular group that was holding them. Mr. Rodwell, we spoke to uh, in Australia. He was one of the, he was one, he was not one of the five, I don't think, may have been. No, no, no. No, no. okay. He was, a, he was a captive of Abu Sayyaf, who was threatened with beheading, and they wanted millions of things for him, and then eventually they settled for $100,000 and said it was room and board. Mm, right. That seems bizarre. Um, well, they use that euphemism, room and board, but, but as a matter of fact, they do. You know, the, the Abu Sayyaf uh, do incur some expenses. I mean, and there's there's an understanding among the groups involved 
because there is outsourcing involved in kidnapping. In other words, the groups that actually do the abduction will then pass off the victim to another group uh, who may or may not be the final uh, custodians of the victim. Mm -hmm. So the victim can change hands several times, and there is an understanding among them as to how they would split whatever payments would ultimately be received. So you were uh, you were involved in assisting the release of five captives of Abu Sayyaf, correct? Um, yes, yes. Not not Rodwell though. I was not involved in that. Okay. Case. Is it something that you can talk about or not? Um, I'd rather not. Okay. We don't have to. So when you look at the current president of the Philippines and you look at the current president of the United States, they're both unique. So, um, I chose that word carefully. But there's also an agreement, uh, an enhanced defense agreement of, of some kind between the United States and uh, the Philippine government now. But Mr. Duterte has also asked China for help material help in fighting um, fighting Abu Sayyaf. How's this all going to how's it all going to turn out, Victor? Is there some way to to predict what's what's going to happen in the Philippines and uh, and can you tell us in about 60 seconds? That's fair, isn't it? Well, what what uh, Mr. Duterte has asked for from China and Russia incidentally is weapons. Right. But in the case of the United States, the enhanced defense cooperation agreement is not limited to weapons, but to the actual presence of troops in the country. So it allows U.S. troops to come to the Philippines and stay for limited periods of time. <clears throat> um, it allows the U.S. to build and operate temporary facilities, which are not to be considered uh, U.S. military bases. And uh, it allows for training uh, exercises between U.S. troops and, and Philippine troops. So this could lead to confrontation between U.S. troops and Abu Sayyaf for directly ISIS fighters in the Philippines. Uh, yes. In fact, between 2002 and 2014, there was a an exercise, there was an agreement mm -hmm. uh, in which uh, the U.S. Uh, provided special forces uh, who assisted Philippine troops in upgrading right. their skills. Victor, I'm going to have to continue this conversation with you another time. I wasn't even looking at the clock, Yeah. but we ran out of time. But we'll do it another, we'll, we'll pick it up another day. Okay. Thanks so much for the time today. Okay, thank you too, Ryan. Victor Taylor, we'll come back with Beauties on the Beach. Stay with us.